Hey everyone, I'm Megan Teets, and this is Sorta Awesome. Welcome to the show that is all about uncovering the awesome in the everyday. Each week, my co-hosts and I give our favorite tips, share our best stories, and confide our true confessions as we invite you to join us in the pursuit of awesome. This is episode 46 of the show. We are brought to you this week by HealthyMoving.com. Healthy Moving is all about exercising less, moving more, and feeling better. Visit HealthyMoving.com slash Sorta Awesome or text Sorta Awesome to 33444 and we'll hear more from Healthy Moving's Jen Hoffman later in the show. I wanted to let you all know about a super easy way you can support Sorta Awesome with your Amazon shopping. You can now go to SortaAwesomeShow.com slash Amazon and that link will take you right to Amazon's homepage. You just fill up your cart with all of your Amazon goodies as usual, and when you check out, Amazon will throw a few pennies our way. It costs absolutely nothing for you to shop Amazon through our link, but it means so much to us as we work on building a better show with your support. So that link again is sortaawesomeshow.com slash Amazon. Well, I am joined this week by my dear friend Kelly of lovewellblog.com. And it is that time of year where there are hearts and roses everywhere. (laughs) And we got a listener question that we thought would be, this would be the perfect time to cover on the show. This question sparked so much discussion amongst the co-host team that Kelly and I are just so looking forward to starting this conversation with you as well. Today, we're going to talk about chemistry, attraction, and connection. But we are not limiting our conversation to just romantic relationships. We really want to explore what this idea of chemistry and connection looks like really in all kinds of contexts. So whether you're in a committed relationship or not, I think that you're going to want to be part of this conversation. But first, we're going to start the show the way we always do with Awesome of the Week. Kelly, what do you have for us this week? Hey, Megan. Hey, Awesomes. Okay, I have something for you this week that I hope is going to excite your household as much as it does mine. It is a website called GoNoodle.com. And if you have the new version of Apple TV, it's actually on your new Apple TV too as an app, as a channel. It is a website that was originally designed for teachers to help kids in the classroom get their energy out, to get their bodies moving, to get their brains thinking. But they've also made it available for parents in the home, and I use it, even though I'm not an educator, just to keep my kids moving, especially now that we're here in February, especially where I live in Minnesota. Winter is not really over in any way, shape, or form. So I need to keep my kids moving, especially now. We get to this point in winter, and people are maybe not so excited to go outside and play in the snow. They need to get the energy out. So we use GoNoodle.com, and my kids will... You can pick up from a variety of different types of exercise and movement on there. And really, because Go Noodle was started for educators, it has this idea that you can choose even what you want to do for your kids. So maybe they need to stress out 
and chill out. So there are things like Maximo, and he is a <laughs> little cartoon character, and he helps them breathe and do yoga positions. It's a little bit cheesy, but they love it. Or there's one even called Airtime Space. It's a channel, and it's really like deep breathing, but it's also about a spaceship that's in space. So you know, it's got fun. this kind of zone, zen sort of a feel. And then they have little space sacks. My five-year-old will just go like through eight of those, just deep breathing, and because he really likes the space sacks with it too. There are... Um, whole channels just to be fun dancing. They have Zumba kids. So they teach them how to do Zumba dances only in a kid more, you know, level. And they have kid instructors doing it. Um, They have Kukuru, which is two guys that do funny dance parties. And so many of them have some sort of an educational component in it. So on um, a plus version, they have one that's like a field trip. You can choose a topic and it's actually kind of like tricking the kids because it looks like they're playing Wii. Like it will say, here, we're going to run a race. Okay, ready? One, two, three, go. Run as fast as you can. And it will kind of look like maybe you're running. It will say jump or duck or go to the left, go to the right. And my kids are doing it about probably 30 minutes into playing recently. My second grader stopped moving and all of a sudden she's like, hey, <laughs> it doesn't matter whether I move or not. Like the computer screen moves the same. Right. And I was like, shoot, she's too smart. My kindergartner hasn't figured it out yet. So it's just a great way. They're really fun. Yeah. They're so approachable. And really, I think the website, if I was a teacher, like they have a whole section on indoor recess. So that if you have your kids in your room, you can put this on. It leads them through. Jump up and down. Now we're going to do this. We're going to dance funny. Everybody shout out what's four times ten. You know, they have ideas to build in colors and um, facts about science and math and everything. So it's even if you're homeschooling, I would think, or you just need to get those kids to get some energy out, a great free resource. Everybody can sign up for the free program. They do have Go Noodle Plus. And here in Minnesota, anyway, the Children's Hospital has gifted Everybody, if you're in the state of Minnesota, I believe, you get a free membership to Go Noodle Plus. Oh, wow. Because the Children's Hospital has endowed that's, that. That's amazing. That's so put so your address great. in. Yeah. So it could be that somebody in your area has also given that to just anybody. You don't just have to be at a school, but gonoodle.com is definitely kind of like my awesome of this season. Yeah. It sounds yeah. like it. Definitely. Well, I've heard of it because the girls' school uses it for indoor recess. So I've heard about it for a couple of years. You know, they talk about after school, do you guys do go noodle at recess? You know, in the spring in Oklahoma, there's lots of indoor recess because of lots of rainy days. So it is a wonderful program for getting kids moving. So yeah. love it. That's great. Okay. Well, my awesome of the week this week is another podcast episode from one of my very favorite podcasts that I've talked about several times on the show, and that is Personality Hacker. And just this past week, they released a show with sort of a love theme to it in time for Valentine's Day. It's Personality Hacker episode 106. And the title of the episode is How Types Say I Love You. So I just finished listening to this. I always listen to Personality Hacker, but you know, sometimes I get a little bit behind on all of my various podcast subscriptions. But (laughs) I had seen in our Sword Awesome Hangout group on Facebook, several people talking about what a great episode it was. So I sort of scooted that episode to the top of my queue so I could listen to it. And it is so good, Kelly. It's so, so helpful. I have to say that it is helpful, not even in the context of romantic relationships, although that is their primary focus. I found myself as I was listening, thinking about my friends who are these Mm -hmm. various other types. So what they do is they they break down the 16 personality types into four groups. And they broke them down by each group's lead 
decision-making cognitive function. Now, I know there are plenty of you who just, you kind of space out a little when I start talking about cognitive functions, but the Personality Hacker podcast, they make cognitive functions so easy and so accessible. Mm -hmm. So they broke it down into the four types. They broke it down to FJs, FPs, NJs, and NPs. And they talk about them sort of in clusters. Yes. So the first cluster they talk about are the FJs, the people who lead with extroverted feeling as their main lead decision-making function. Well, two of my closest friends are FJs. I, you know, Laura Tremaine, one of our co-hosts is an ISFJ and my dear friend Catherine is an ESFJ. So I found as I was listening to that segment, even though I'm not in a romantic relationship with anyone who is an FJ, it was so helpful as I was listening to think about, oh my gosh, these are great ways that I can express love to these dear friends of mine at any time of the year. So, so good. Um, they talk about how this specific cognitive function, our lead decision-making function, influences this part of our lives. You don't really think about that, how it translates into like love, like how do you express love? How do you receive love? So it was, I learned so much just from listening to this episode they talk about things like which types are the most prone to emotional terrorists, <laughs> which was Whoa, really fascinating. That's a loaded term. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like people who can really come in and just really mess up your emotional sense of well-being. Okay. And then they even talk about which type is the most resistant to an emotional terrorist. Kelly, you will not be surprised to know that the <laughs> INTJ was in that group. <laughs> I was say, well, I know one person who fits into that cluster. Yeah, yes. Exactly. Exactly. So I just really loved it. I think that anybody, even if you have never listened to Personality Hacker before, this is a great standalone episode. If you just know what your type is, if you know the type of, you know, if you're in a relationship or married to someone, if you know their type, this is totally an episode that you can listen to standalone. And again, you can just listen to it in the context of friendships, family, family relationships, any kind of relationship where there is love being expressed in some way or another. This is a really insightful episode that has really great practical applications too. So, yeah. Yeah, it was really good. Episode 106 of Personality Hacker. Well, I mentioned at the top of the show that we got a super interesting listener question, and it really did. It got the whole co-host team to talking. I've shared with you all that on Voxer that we have a co-host chat, and we talk about all kinds of things, and they are mostly related to the show, but this one really got us talking. So Kelly and I thought this would be so fun to bring onto the show to discuss and to hear from you all what your thoughts are on this topic. But let's start with our listener question. So she wrote in to ask, she said, a few times a year as part of my job, I have to talk on the phone to a man with another company. And every time I get off the phone with him, I feel slightly guilty. We have these really great phone calls and we really seem to connect, even though we're just talking about work stuff. It's so different from most other conversations I have at work or otherwise, but I find myself feeling guilty for enjoying our connection because I'm also a happily married woman. She wrote, help, do any of you ever have anything like that happen? So, yes. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the answer is yes. <laughs> and I think that's probably why we started to talk about it in our Voxer group was we went, well, yeah, but we also related to the guilt of it. Yes, right? definitely, definitely. Yeah. yeah, I think that, yeah, like Kelly said, we just, we started talking about it. And, and of the four of us, each of us had stories and examples that we could give from our own personal lives where we'd had those moments where it's just like, 
you just out of the blue, just have this connection with someone and it can kind of leave you reeling a little bit as fun and, and exhilarating as it is. It, you can kind of walk away from a, a connection like that thinking like, what is going on here? Right. So that's kind of what we wanted to talk about today. The idea of chemistry, of attraction, and also connection, what those three things are, how they show up in our lives what they look like over time, and then ultimately, like, what do we do with these little moments of connection? But we thought we should probably start from the beginning by defining what do we even mean by chemistry? What do we mean when we're talking about attraction here? Because in our culture, Kelly, don't you think that this idea of chemistry and, tra- and attraction, it's almost always limited to a romantic idea, right? Yes, I do think that that's the first thing that people think of if you use those words in the context of a relationship, if you say attraction, they automatically think it's a romantic thing. And I think that we, for the purposes of this conversation, want to broaden it at least yes. for a little while and say it's not just about a romantic mating sort of a ritual. Right, right. It's about just having a spark between two people where you feel like you know them. Yes. Or that you're really enjoying them yes, on a level that maybe just doesn't happen with every person that you run into. Right, right. Well, it is so interesting because in the meantime, as Kelly and I are preparing this show, in the meantime, in a different friend group that we are in, we just spontaneously started talking about this. And a mutual friend of Kelly and I, um, she started to share her kind of theory on it. And she talked about, she kind of framed it with a word picture of all of us giving off a a radio frequency that sometimes as you go about life, you realize that, that you've bumped into somebody who is like tuned into the exact same frequency that you live on. And it can be, like I said, it can be so exhilarating to realize, you know, you, all of us are kind of putting off a certain level of energy. We all kind of vibrate with this certain frequency. And every now and again, you do, you kind of start to have a conversation with someone, again, completely outside the context of romance. It could be the checker at the grocery store. It could be somebody that you bump into in the hallway at preschool drop-off. I mean, it could be in a variety of different contexts. But there's that instant thing of like, oh, I know you, you're like me, we match, you know, just that thing of like realizing we're we're on the same level here. We're on the same frequency. And more than anything, more than it being a romantic thing, I think of it in terms of it's just like a human thing. Yes, I think it's absolutely human. And I think that we respond on a very human level. You know, if you read anything about neuroscientists and people who study the brain and chemistry and love and how these things all go together, they would say, And again, not in a romantic sort of way, but when we feel that connection with people, things happen in our brain. You know, it it literally fires up dopamine and other things that make us happy and they don't know why always. And I think that's the thing that we're going to run this kind of teeter-totter thing today where there's some of it we don't understand. There's a magical, mysterious sort of pull sometimes. And then other times there is this kind of logical, well, that makes sense sort of thing. So there is a real chemistry that happens sometimes when we talk to people, but yet there's ways that we can't always define it. We just know that it is that universal human thing. Of course, we all want to connect. I don't think anybody would disagree with that. Right. So the idea that we would want to connect is there at its bedrock. And then how we connect who we connect with is kind of the little bit of the thing that we can't always determine. You know, I was thinking 
one of the times that I can think of the most when this happened in a non-romantic sort of way was one of my college roommates. You know, she and I met, I don't even remember how we might've been dating two guys that were friends. You know how that right, goes in yes. college. Uh-huh. And you're like, oh, well, I guess we're going to go hang yeah. out together. <laughs> right? Um, yeah. We talked and I think immediately, I mean, within probably one evening, we both went, this is weird. Like this is, you are like a soulmate in some sort of a way where you get me, I get you, I feel so comfortable with you. And of course, our friendship has continued way past those guys. (laughs) Right. Because you could tell. And it was that kind of easy relationship where even today we don't talk all the time, but when we do, boom, you know, you can just pick right back up with that person. Why? Why that person? Did we have things in common? You know, we didn't even know each other at that stage. There was just a spark and it was in that friendship sort of a way. It definitely helped that friendship to endure. I mean, have you experienced something like that? I would suspect you have. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Growing up, uh, my family moved around a lot. We moved every three to four years. And uh, so I've never had, I've always, I learned very early how to make friends, how to be a good friend and how to make friends quickly. But it was always surprising to me, even as a child, no matter where we moved, that there I would find somebody where we'd have that sort of instant connection. And that was always so comforting and such a gift, really, in a lot of ways, um, to grow up moving and making new friends a lot, to be able to recognize that sameness in somebody else, that sense of matching with somebody else, no matter what little town we had moved to. And then I also, like you, have a dear friend from college. My friend Diana, she was my sweet mate during sorority rush. We clicked instantly. We pledged the same sorority. So we were pledged sisters. And through time and space and miles and family and everything, she remains one of those friends. I, we don't get to talk nearly as often as I would like for us to. But to this day, that connection between us is so strong. And she's absolutely one of those people that just, you know, at the drop of a hat, we can just it's like we just pick up the conversation right where we left off, even if it's been months since we last talked. So, right. yeah, I think that really chemistry and friendship is is maybe one of the first ways that we as humans are introduced to this idea of chemistry. Right. Some friendships really can feel like love at first sight. So, yeah, absolutely. And in fact, I think that we do have that sort of a giddiness about yes. it when that happens. Yes. And it's not something that, again, that's the magical part of it. We can't manufacture it. We can't predict. It often does kind of feel like a love at first sight because you haven't gotten to know the person well enough to know that, oh, we do have all these things in common. There, I'm sure that a scientist would say there are some small clues, you know, even the way your face looks or how they'll, they'll look at things like that, that maybe you're picking up on um, a sense of humor. There might be a shared, you know, like, oh, they got my joke. Yes. They thought that was funny. You yeah. know, that's, I'm kind of quirky. And so they thought that was funny or the way little comments they might make. I'm sure there's things that even subconsciously we pick up on, but it is one of those things that when it happens is so unexpected. I think it does make that kind of giddiness like, here's <laughs> yes. somebody that, oh, wow. And, and you're, at least for me, when I find somebody like that, I'm a little infatuated with being with them. Yes. Like it's so interesting. It is that little bit of a chemical rush in my brain that happens. And again, this is totally a non-romantic context. It's just a friendship sort of a thing. Since we're talking about friendship, I wanted to speak too to the fact that just because a friendship doesn't start with that that little connection with those sparks of energy that we were talking about, that sort of giddy love at first sight type of thing, even still, 
there's something to be said about a long-term connection over time. And I kind of wanted to talk about that aspect of this whole thing of attraction too, because sometimes we may find um, in friendship that there may not be that immediate sense of connecting and belonging with one another. But if if circumstances and situations kind of keep throwing you together with somebody, that over time those connections can be forged. Um, I certainly have friendships like that in my life where, you know, maybe it started in high school or in college, we were in similar activities. So we were just kind of around each other. And just over time and, and putting in the work over time, that that connection really becomes solidified. I think that's a part of attraction that we don't often talk about because it's maybe not as sexy or glamorous as that initial rush of uh, of sparking chemistry with someone. But I think that's a really important aspect of this whole conversation too, is that you don't have to have that initial giddy infatuation phase to have a long-term sustained relationship with somebody. So, right. In fact, I would maybe just make a thesis statement here and say attraction can lead to connection. Yeah. But you don't have to have attraction to have connection. Right. Right. And also conversely, not all attraction leads to connection. Totally. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So that's I think a really important distinction in our conversation, especially as we get to the second half of the show where we want to talk a little bit about romantic stuff. Yes. Is that they are intertwined, but they don't have to be. Right. So I think sometimes our fear of things is you know, that we feel like they have to go together and they right. don't. And I think that what you're pointing out when you are just with people after a while, there might not have been that giddiness at the beginning, but you have still built a yes. connection. Though that maybe initial kind of magic-y, you know, glitter dust wasn't there at the beginning. And that's right. okay too. You know, friendships come in all, all sorts of different ways. I think that especially comes true, don't you? And like when you're talking about group, Yes. Sort of friendships. Absolutely. I think in group dynamics, it can be so interesting that it's a matter of kind of finding your fit. And if you do fit into a group dynamic, there are sometimes occasions in life where a group may look like on paper, like everything that you're looking for. For example, maybe a neighborhood book club or a small group from your church or faith community or um you know, a, a meetup group that's really focused on a specific interest that you have. Everything can look right on paper, like the meeting times are the right time and place, you know, the, the topic is something that you're interested in. But then you show up and it's like, oh, this isn't, I don't fit here. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I've had that happen to me so often. When I was younger, I just, I felt like if it looked good on paper, but I felt like I didn't fit. Like, I felt like there was something wrong with me. Mm. And so I found that I would continue to just really force the issue. Like, okay, I don't have a choice. This is too good to not be a part of, you know? <laughs> yep. So if there's a problem, it's the problem is me. So I'm going to keep forcing it. As I've gotten older, and I guess I've become more, more comfortable, I suppose, with the concept of like how each of us carry our own energy into every situation and that our our presence in every situation is not always a good fit. And just like being like that is not good or bad. It just is right. the way it, that it is. I have become a lot more comfortable in just saying that is a really great group and they are doing really great things, but it's not for me. <laughs> right. And just having the freedom to not force the issue, because I will say, the interesting thing for me about this 
conversation when it comes to group dynamics is unlike friendships, I almost always have had the experience where I've tried to force myself to fit into a group dynamic. It has almost always ended in a negative experience for me. Mm. Like it has not turned out to be really rewarding or fulfilling. Now, I realize I'm painting with really broad strokes and I'm really just speaking to my own personal experiences, but I'm learning to trust myself and my reads on groups and in what the chemistry already is like. And if I am a good fit there, have you had that happen at all, Kelly? I have. I'm thinking that really the wisdom is knowing when to cut and run Yes, because you're saying this just isn't working and it's not worth me trying to force myself here and when to invest. And that's a hard thing. I certainly, the older I get, the more I am willing to say, it's okay. You know, there will be other people. There will be other relationships. Sometimes it's just okay to say, this just isn't working for me. I say this to myself. Maybe it's just a way to make myself feel better. But I say, they've already got a great chemistry going on. Yes. I feel like I don't want to mess it up for everybody else by kind of trying to force myself and go, I will make this work. Gosh, dang it. You know, grit my teeth and have (laughs) relationships. We are going to be in a relationship. We are. We're We're going to lick it. Um, (laughs) Is is it's in some way, you know, obviously because we're acknowledging that there is a group dynamic, there is more than one person involved. There's all these complicated layers of things. When I'm trying to force myself into something like that, and I've come to that point of recognizing it, because I do think that there is an initial period where we all can feel discomfort mm-hmm. in a group and say, oh, no, 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 this doesn't work. And I think even personality types could react differently to that beginning phase of a, of a group if there isn't that chemistry. Do you push through or do you not? So when you get to the point where you're saying, I think I've given this enough t- you know, time and enough tries to say this really just isn't me. It's, the, it's like the group and me. Then what? You know, so saying it's okay. It's okay to, to walk away and try somebody else and I'll let them be what they are in, the, yeah. in their own little, you know, group dynamic cluster there. Right. Exactly. One thing that you mentioned is finding the wisdom, knowing how to move forward, whether you should uh, try to keep at it or just let it go. One area where that is not as simple as it may seem or sound is when you're talking about family dynamics. Mm-hmm. And I've thought about this a little bit. You know, we hear often from people in the Hangout group, um, you know, sometimes mentioning, because we talk about family dynamics in general a lot in there. People sharing different problems that have come up or a lot of times great solutions to issues that had come up. And sometimes we hear t- people talk about, and I certainly have these conversations in my offline life with other friends, about the very tricky dynamic of adult siblings and how to navigate those dynamics. And so if you are in a family and in a sibling group, you don't always have the freedom to just be like, well, <laughs> there's no chemistry here for me, so I'm out. <laughs> I'm out, people. I fold. Have fun. Right. But yet they are important relationships. I was just listening to a podcast that came out last year, this weekend. It was the TED Radio Hour. And it's all about love and how we love. And there was one talk in there that was specifically about siblings. The speaker, he's an author who's written a book about sibling relationship. His point was, these people are the only people who are with you for almost your entire life. As far as, you know, not only your genetic coding, but just you have shared experiences of growing up um, and then just traveling life with you that they are worth investing in if you can. But sometimes I think that it's okay, too, to recognize that if 
that there's a that there is a chemistry attraction to it. Feels really weird to talk about that with your siblings. <laughs> but I think all of us who do have siblings can look at our sibling groups within our family and be like sometimes you're a really great match with one of your siblings. You know, I'm thinking about when Sarah Bessie came on the show. She was talking about her sister so fondly, and she even said on the show that her sister is like the great love story of her life. I mean, they are so, 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 so closely connected. And that is so wonderful in in an obvious case of having a great sense of energy and great sense of chemistry with each other and that that long-term connection over time. But at the same time, I just, I hope that for people who are listening who do not have that sense of connection with their siblings to have the freedom to kind of let go of the guilt of that. You know, we grew up in the same household. We have the same shared family history that it's okay to just say, but we're just not a great match together as people. You know, we in some sense love each other because we are related and grew up together, have that shared history, but it's okay if you're not the best of friends, I guess is what I'm saying. And then kind of moving forward from there and figuring out how to practice loving actions and attitudes towards somebody who you are related to, even if there is no sense of chemistry or spark of connectedness there. Right. And that's worthwhile still to pursue that sort of a relationship. So I love how you said just to let go of the guilt of it. I think that our culture sets us up sometimes. We can't all be the Bravermans. Right. You know, like I think that we see that. I have talked to so many people who do have chemistry in their sibling group and people who don't but wish they did. They see that and they say, oh, I want to get together once a week with all of my, you know, spouses, siblings and the, the kids and just have this great meal and we laugh and we share and we cry. And the reality is that's just not how everybody works. It's not fair yes. to expect that out of other people, to expect it out of ourselves. It's wonderful when it happens, but I think there is, that's the part of it that, well, that the Raverman part is the part of it where it's called Hollywood. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they can do what they want. Right. But, you know, it's just the real life. It, when it happens, it's kind of magical, but you can't make it. doesn't mean that it's not still a relationship, a connection right. that's worth, worth forging, even if there isn't that like big attraction fairy dust sprinkled over the relationship fairy dust with the the twinkle lights lined on the on the patio (laughs) right yes and it never rains when you want to eat outside right exactly exactly well we'll be back with more discussion about chemistry attraction and connection after this message from jen hoffman of healthymoving.com Hello, awesomes. Jen from HealthyMoving.com here. This month, I'm bringing you tips on how to weave more movement into your day. One of the areas of our body that pays the biggest price for our lack of movement is the neck and shoulders. Here's a simple, almost magical little exercise that you can do while you're waiting for your coffee to brew or waiting for your kids to put their shoes on. You're just going to stand up and turn your head to look over your right shoulder. Notice how far you're able to rotate. Now, bring your head back to neutral and your arms out in front of you in I Dream of Genie style. So you've got your elbows bent and one forearm on top of the other. With your arms in that position and your head looking forward, slowly move your arms over to the left side and then back to neutral. And Repeat that kind of rocking motion to the left and back towards center a few times. Then release your arms and turn your head to look over to the right again. Notice how much further you can rotate. It's amazing. If you'd like a video of this exercise, plus two of my other favorites for neck and shoulder tension, just head to healthymoving.com slash sorta awesome or text sorta awesome to 33444. 
We are back. Before the break, we talked about the role of chemistry in friendships and in group dynamics and sometimes even within families. Kelly, I now want to talk about this idea of chemistry in the most conventional way that we usually think about it, and that is in the context of romance. So truly, this is something that we really think about when we think about chemistry. Do you have chemistry with somebody, especially if you're on the dating scene? That's like the primary thing that you're looking for. I, my sister might kill me for mentioning this on air, but I'm telling it anyway. She has been dating, kind of looking for the right one, the right match. And it has been so interesting to me as I have kind of, you know, followed along vicariously because Kyla and I have been together for 20 solid years. So the dating see now is so different from when Kyle and I were dating. But one thing that is the same is that we are, we're looking for that chemistry, that spark of attraction when it comes to romance. The reason that we're looking for it is because it's important. You know, as I've done reading, um, brain chemistry, all that stuff really fascinates me. I mean, this whole topic really fascinates me. One of the things that everybody says is that really to have a long-term romantic relationships succeed, you need that initial spark of attraction. Because what it does in our brains, besides just releasing endorphins and, you know, dopamine and all the good stuff, it's like lighting up the part of our brain that literally also lights up when someone's using cocaine, you know, it rewires our brain toward that person. So it literally makes new grooves in our brain to find that person attractive. So the reason that that is so important and why I, as I've learned about it, and again, I've been married for 22 years, you know, it's, it was a long time ago that I was in that kind of stage of life where you're looking around and saying, who, where do the sparks fly? You know, who's attractive and who's not and who finds me attractive? The reason that it's important is that if you didn't have that initially, it's harder to keep the relationship going. Because that's what I think for me, that point that we made before the break of saying, you know, attraction can lead to connection, but it doesn't have to. But it's harder to build connection if you didn't have that initial attraction. You can, Mm -hmm. as we said, you know, you can do it, but it makes it harder just even in your brain chemistry in a romantic sort of way to keep turning toward that person if your brain didn't have that initial rush of rewiring toward them. So that's a very scientific sort of chemical speak of what happens when we are attracted to somebody. When we say, ooh, that person, and when we have those sparks that initially fly. It's funny how we say, oh, I have chemistry with that person, and then scientists come along and say, actually, you really do. (laughs) Like it's a real thing. It's not just chemistry in a metaphorical way. It's really happening (laughs) in your brain. It's literal chemistry, yes. yes. (laughs) It's literal brain chemistry. That's so interesting to think about. And as I think back on Kyle and I's relationship, we started dating when I was a freshman in college and we had a mutual friend who was insistent on setting us up. She saw something in the two of us. She sensed that there was a match there to be made, you know, and so she hounded both of us and Finally, everything fell into place, and he had called me to ask me to go on a double date with this friend of ours and and her boyfriend, who was a friend of his. And so he had called just to ask me on this date, and we ended up spending an hour on the phone the very first time that we ever talked. And I got off the phone. I went in to talk to my sweet mate and tell her what had happened. And I just kind of casually said, I think I'm going to marry that boy. And then I did. Yes. <laughs> 
So there is sometimes that thing that we can say, you know, it's it's brain chemistry. It's the, this is the science of it. But at the same time, like in a parallel way, even though those things are definitely happening in the scientific and chemical level, the molecular level even of our beings, at the same time, there's sometimes just that inexplicable, like you even said earlier, that magical thing that happens when we when those sparks fly, when we have found somebody who is a match for us. And it kind of begs the question then, like, do do we think that that can only happen once in your lifetime? Is there such thing as a one great love, one time that you're, the, the sparks will fly with one person? Or is it possible to have this happen several times across your lifetime? Well, I'll tip my hand here and say, because I have thought about this a lot, I can tell you a little bit my conclusion. I don't know if that's as much fun as tracing all the trails of people, <laughs> you know, how we get there. I used to be very, I think most girls are when they're young, very romantic and like, oh, yes, I believe in the one. I have watched a lot of rom-coms. Oh, yes. you know, yeah. I know how this works, people. There's the one great love that will complete you. And soulmate was a term that was used a lot in the in the way that this is somebody who you are incomplete without. If you are not with this person, you're just a half of a person walking around and there's that one for you. Where I am now, I really believe that one great love, that idea, is something that we build. Yeah. Um, and it's not it's not an either or sort of thing. I really think that you do need, as we've been talking about, that magic, that initial moment of attraction, all those giddy head rush sort of things. But then after that, and this is, again, my personal belief, I think that those one great loves are built over a lifetime. They're built over repeated connection, over repeated choosing somebody, over um, a lifetime of shared experiences. So sometimes those, maybe those love stories that people are working on, they get interrupted for all sorts of different reasons. So I don't think that just because that story got interrupted, it doesn't mean that you, that's now you're done. Right. Book is over. Sorry, somebody else, you know, uh, cancer, somebody else's decision. They ended your story of having one great love. So I do believe it's possible to have more than one. And I've seen it in my own families. You know, uh, my my grandfather, I never met him. He died when my dad was eight. Um, But they he and his my grandmother, they had four children at that point. You know, they had this really romantic. I have a a picture I just got of them the other day right after World War Two. One of my um, cousins husbands colorized it. You know, it was a black and white. Really. You know how that just brings people to life. Oh, totally. And I'm looking at them as young people and you can see that they just fit together. But then he died. Yeah. And she got remarried and they had another little girl. And that was the grandfather that I knew. You know, so I can't say that. Oh, well. That first husband was her one great love, or the second one, I know that she loved them both. Sure, yeah. So so that's how that's how I look at it. What do you think, Megan? I, am, I, I, am I saying something and you're like, oh, you are so wrong? No, not <laughs> at all. Not at all. We could probably do a whole other show with my thoughts on the idea of soulmates and those types of things. But no, I think that you're exactly right. That I, I think that in terms of that idea of one great love of your life, it is that thing that you do build over time, that deep connection that comes, like you said, from sharing life together. Having that shared history is so important. But that it is possible that there are many loves out there for us to discover. And so it's just kind of a matter of what do life and circumstances bring to you and and, and how do you respond to those things? So that's not really um, a, a really solid answer, but I'm really just kind of echoing and saying that, yeah, I definitely agree with what you're saying right. there. So would you say, so to go back to the initial question that started this whole ball rolling, yeah, 
you know, that idea. I felt so much resonance with that question because I thought I have been there. Sure, yes. I think especially who I am, I have felt that connection with someone of the opposite sex. You know, I'm heterosexual, but I'm happily married. And then what? I know that when I was younger, especially in my 20s, it freaked me out. Yeah. Um, and again, I think that was partly because I was in that stage of saying, oh, well, this is my one great love. I found him now. And then when I felt that spark, I was like, oh, right. what do I do now? Wait, what? I, I thought I wasn't supposed to feel that way anymore. Right. You know, that sort of a thing. And so yes. I resonated with what the um, question asker was asking because I do think that that feeling of guilt yes. of like, I've done something wrong. And then you back up and you say, all I did was talk to the checkout clerk. <laughs> right. you know? yes. I didn't trade numbers. I didn't, be, you know, like the, we didn't meet later for coffee. It, it's crazy. But I think that it's okay to have that spark with somebody. That's right. You can't control that. Right. It's, yes. it's attraction. It's a chemistry sort of a thing. It happens. And it doesn't mean that you don't love your spouse or your significant other. Right. Yes. I mean, I do think that this thing, this, this, to go back to what I said earlier in the show, let's use that word picture of your radio frequency. That's something that you are born with. That's a part of how you were created. And there, it's unreasonable to expect that you would just be able to somehow turn that off because you've gotten married or because you're in some kind of a long-term committed relationship that it's not reasonable to think that that part of you just goes away, that you can somehow like turn the dial down on your radio frequency. It is just vibrating out of you because it's an intrinsic part of who you are. It becomes an issue of, you know, how can I still, how can I allow myself to recognize that these connections happen without feeling guilty. And I think a big part of that is just, you know, being responsible, setting a, setting a boundary as it's appropriate. It's easy to talk about like, well, this happened, this isolated incident at work, or, you know, like you said, we'll keep going back and using like the, the clerk at checkout, but you know, like these little random run-ins that we have, that's one thing. If it's in a context where you have you've noticed this connection with somebody that you're around socially or for work or whatever the environment is that you have to be around them more often. Well, then, yeah, it's a good idea just to be able to say without feeling guilt to be able to say, huh, uh, there's a little bit stronger connection there than I would feel with somebody else. And if it's, if it is the kind of thing that could threaten a marriage or a, a long-term relationship to just be wise about it and, and to be responsible and think about what, what boundaries do I need to set for myself? And even more so to think about like what boundaries would it be the kindest to set for this other person or for, for my spouse or whatever. Um, this is where another part of our brain comes in, just using our brain <laughs> right, right. <laughs> to think about how to navigate that once you've noticed that that, um, that sense of chemistry is there. There's nothing to feel guilty about right. for having chemistry with other people. It's kind of the things that come after that where you just want to be careful and you want to be wise and have an innocent heart as you move forward. Right. I think that the key word here is awareness. Yes. So being very aware of your own self and noticing those connections when they happen. And I think that what guilt does is it makes us try to say, oh, that didn't happen. Yes. Uh -uh. I, I didn't I didn't feel that. Uh -uh. And, and, and to go into some sort of a, a, a shame spiral, maybe even. So just acknowledging that, hey, I did feel that connection for that person. 
Um, and especially if it is somebody that you're going to be bumping up against, just being aware of it. Um, I know a lot of friends, and this is totally personal, but they tell their spouse. Right. You know, if you have that kind of a relationship, they'll say, you know, just so you know, I did find that person attractive. There was some sort of a spark there and I'm aware of it. And so I'm going to be careful. Right. And I'm telling you not so that you can be jealous and, you know, hypersensitive about it because I want to stay open in our relationship. Yes. And I think that's part of that building that connectedness. You know, when, if you know anything about how affairs happen, it really, again, is not the Hollywood sort of idea that two people, you know, fatal attraction, tearing their clothes off. It is almost always done because of a lack of connection in the marriage relationship and a seeking of connection elsewhere. And so when that spark happens, it's easy to go down that road, especially if your marriage isn't healthy. So just being able to say to the other person that you're committed to, hey, this is this is a real thing. You don't need to be threatened by it because all it means is I'm human. Right. You know, I'm not looking elsewhere. I do want to be aware of it and I'm going to be careful. That's the best way to involve your brain yes. to counteract your brain. Right. right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Use your brain to fight your brain. <laughs> Um, well, you know, speaking of uh, the way that we're designed and created, I one aspect of this that, of course, I have to bring up that I am so interested in on a personal level is whether or not some personality types are more attractive than others. And I am not talking about physically attractive. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about the vibe that they put off, the way they present themselves to the world and the way other people experience them. Are some types just more attractive? Are they operating on a different frequency than people around them? I have found this to be true in my life. And Kelly, maybe you can relate. One thing that comes up over and over on profiles for the ENFP, which you and I both are, is that we often um, are, people experience us as being flirty. And certainly when I was younger, this was an issue. It's something that I've kind of, you know, like learned how to navigate and put together the the pieces of what people even meant by that as I've gotten older, because it is something that most of the time, those of us of our personality type, we're not even aware that what we're doing or saying or how we're acting could be misconstrued as being flirty. Right. So uh, Kelly, is that something that you uh, have also experienced? Yes. I am shaking my head so much over here. It might fall off. I totally know what you're saying. And I think that defining the word flirty is a really good way to start the conversation when you're having it with other people, especially. I think that both of us are going, well, we we get each other. <laughs> right. That's the problem with everybody else. <laughs> but I think that sometimes because other personality types, because of the way they interact with the world and because of the way they're wired to give off energy – they see that our energy level is here mm-hmm. or other people, not just ours, but you know, other people that would be wired differently. And they think, well, the only reason I would be at that energy level is because I'm trying to get something from that person. I'm trying to especially attract their attention or right. you're trying to get asked out on a date or that sort of a thing. And actually, we just live at that energy level. <laughs> exactly. It's so true. <laughs> you know, I was asking in the Hangout group for people who've had this experience, and I was especially curious about ENFP and also ESFP because I've heard and read things and heard people, just friends talking about that this is another thing that they experience, that they have been accused of being overly flirtatious or people, you know, will think, you know, they'll ask them out because they thought, I thought we had a thing. And then the person's like, no, I was just being friendly. (laughs) (laughs) So I know ENFP and ESFP that we have that thing. And like you said, we don't, 
we don't know because we're just like we're just being ourselves. Right. Um, it does make me wonder if there are types that, if we're talking about radio frequencies, that we really do just have like, I don't know if it's a stronger frequency or maybe like a more like a wider frequency that we that it's just more all encompassing. Yeah. Um, I think that there are some personality types that are on the other end of the spectrum. Yes. In that they their frequency is just so it's so much more inward and their energy is so much more inward that they can often be accused of being overtly unfriendly. You know what I mean? And even mysterious. I would say what I was just thinking about, and we're both married to INTJs. We just have so many little commonalities here, but I was thinking about my, my husband and how sometimes he is, and for sure, this is what drew me to him at the beginning. Mm -hmm. He is mysterious. Right. Yeah. He's, he puts off so little energy. He almost sucks you in like a black hole. <laughs> so sure he like absorbs everybody. I <laughs> love that. Um, he really, I was just thinking even he in other relationships, he has had people be drawn into him because they feel like he must be wanting them to be, you know, more right. open and more seeking him out. And he's like, no, this is just who I am. Right. I really don't tell anybody anything. I'm not just trying to play hard to get, exactly. you know? And so in that sort of way, for sure, it's not because his is not this outward yes. sort of thing where I feel like for me, everything is out. I'm the opposite of a black hole. Everything is out. And so other people see it. So I think that people who have that outward sort of energy and that whatever you were saying, like a high frequency other people can see it. And so then it's maybe more easily judged. Do you think that some people even just have sort of a a different sort of energy and can pull people in? It's funny how that works. And you know, one thing that was so interesting to me, and I think you picked up on it too, Kelly, as we were talking about this in the hangout group, if there are personality types that have, you know, this propensity to be, uh, to be experienced as flirty to others, I heard coming through, and I can identify with this. I've, I've said similar things. I heard coming through almost a sense of shame about yes. that, of like not only not understanding, you know, like why people experience them that way, but just a sense of like really having to cover that or hide it and not be the fullest expression of themselves because uh, they're afraid or embarrassed by the impact that it has on people around them. And yes. I know you and I were kind of talking about that. And that really struck you as well. That sense of shame that kind of seemed to come through in some of that conversation. Yeah, I did notice it. And the reason that I noticed it is because I really used to feel it too. Um, you know, I, I felt like, oh, I'm like, I'm too much, right? Right. And yes. so I, I don't want to be giving off the wrong vibes. And it's it's nice that we're being compassionate toward other people. That's not a bad thing. But I do think that it kind of tipped a little too far in my own life to being like, I can't really be me. I can't really live out of my fullest sense of self because I don't know what kind of message I might be sending to other people. And I'll tell a funny story that has just become a funny, like one of those moments in our marriage that we look back on. It's like a line out of a movie that we say to each other. Um, Corey and I were shopping. We'd been married for about two years. We were in a mall. There was, do you remember Dipping Dots? Oh yes, there's, of course. They're still out there. But <laughs> yeah. when when they were first came out, they were like just in like kiosks and malls. You know, yes. you could only get them. They were this kind of really cool thing. So we stopped in San Diego and we were going to get some dipping dots. And I was in a good mood. I was chatting. I chat with everybody. Yes. I mean, that's just who I am. My kids have commented on that. Like, do you know everybody? And I'm like, no, I don't really know them. But I think I do. I don't know. I just talked to everybody. Um, so I was talking with the guy who was 
you know, dishing up my Dippin' Dots. And they were playing Hotel California. <laughs> this is so funny to me. And I said, oh, is that the Eagles? He's like, yeah. And I'm like, oh, I love the Eagles. Blah, 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 blah. You know, thanks to the Dippin' Dots. And I walk away and Corey looks at me and says, you don't love the Eagles? <laughs> Why did you say that? Like, kind of, he wasn't really accusing me of like, try, just trying. And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I was so caught up in the moment. I was having so much fun, like a little connection over Dippin' Dots right. with an aging hippie who was having to work in a mall to make money. I mean, you know, really, there was no like sense of attraction there in a long-term romantic sense. Right. But we were having a moment. Yes. Well, and so all of a sudden I liked the Eagles, even though I really, really, really do not like the Eagles. <laughs> like, I just don't. But I said it and it, it became this like jumping point for continuous conversation between my husband and I, him saying, why do you say things or act like you like everybody? Or that you have a connection with everybody. Like you right. will make up a connection right. that doesn't even exist yes. just because you're in the moment. <laughs> and so it really did give me pause at that point in my life. I was in my early to mid-20s and I started to think, why, why do I like the Eagles? You know, like, why did I say that? What am I doing? And so I think for a season I did pull back mm-hmm. and say – I'm, I'm sending off vibes here. Like, I didn't mean to lie. Like, I wasn't right. trying to, to lie right. about yes. my music, uh, you know, taste. But where I am today, and again, I've said many times, I feel like in my 40s, I have just so much embraced, wait a minute, this is who I am. This is who God made me to be. This is not a bad thing. Right. Of course, there's got to be wisdom with that. But I have found that I have stopped worrying to a large degree about the energy that I give off. Yeah. And how other people, especially people who are not involved in that relationship at the moment, you know, me talking to the checkout clerk, somebody down the aisle looking at me, I don't really care how they perceive it anymore. These are small moments of living out of the wholeness of who I am. And it brings me joy to live out of the wholeness of who I am. So I don't want to be shamed out of that anymore. And of course, again, I'm not trying to be frivolous with it. I'm not trying to say there aren't times to be aware, to be guarded, all those things. But for the most part, I felt bad and I would feel bad if anybody said, oh, I can't live out of the fullness of me because other people think I'm flirting. Right. You know, if, if that's who you were wired to be, if you give off that energy, the world needs you. Yes. We're so glad that you do live out there and that you will come and talk to, you know, me at the farmer's market or the people who come in. And we've even said before, I think in our conversation, the people who come into our house to like fix something sometimes, <laughs> you know, it's so silly, but I've had the exact same experience. Didn't you just have somebody of the day? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You know, just somebody coming in to fix something or something. And then before you know it, you're offering them, you need a glass of water. <laughs> I could, I could fix you a cup of coffee really fast. It'll take four minutes, you know, yes. just just being like, you just can't help but to make those connections. You're just compelled to. Yeah, I get that completely. And so saying, you know what, it's okay. Like, I'm not trying to take this to some level. And if they start to reciprocate in some sort of a way that I'm not meaning, you know, then I can certainly dial it back. But that's like, I think, wisdom. That's not saying I'm not going to live out of the fullness of who I am. I'm not living in fear. Right. Every day that I go out into the world and say, well, I hope I don't lead on the, you know, Trader Joe's clerk. (laughs) Like when I leave and I'm, you know, chatting about the chocolate and the coffees that I bought. It's just one of those sensitive things. I realize it's sensitive, but certainly where I am now, I just want people to live in freedom and not to have to worry about it. 
Absolutely. One thing that somebody brought up on that discussion thread in the Facebook group was the idea that it's not necessarily being flirty, that we're just some people, regardless of personality type, some people are just more engaging than others. Like we crave that connection with other people and it comes very naturally to us to engage with other people, whatever the context is. And so I think that's a big part of it too, is just switching our language a little bit and just realizing that with that moving forward with an innocent heart, when you're truly just driven and compelled to connect with other people, that it's really about engaging them. So I think really that's what Kelly and I wanted to convey as we thought about this show is we do, we want people to have freedom from the guilt of it. We would never want, like the listener question, we would never say that that is something to feel guilty about, that that we can honor these little moments of connection, these little sparks of chemistry as just being part of the human experience and really celebrate those moments of kinship, of kindred spiritness when you find it and not let anybody else burden you down with guilt over these things that are perfectly normal and natural and yeah just part of being a human being and really they make life worth living i think especially for those of us who are wired this way and that's the reason i wouldn't want someone to pull back their energy is that's what fulfills us right having those little moments of connection all day every day you know via voxer or facebook or getting out of your house and going to the gym Um, and of course that's more of an extrovert thing but i don't know that it has to be Right. an extrovert sort of a thing. Right. Those those little things, those little moments um, are what bring the color to our world. And so it's okay to have that color. You just need to be wise with it. Yes, absolutely. So true. So true. Okay. Well, I know that you all are going to have thoughts on this. We would love for you to come and find us so that we can continue this conversation. So Kelly, remind us where we can find you all around the web. I am at Kelly at Lovewell on Instagram and Twitter. And my Facebook page is facebook.com slash lovewellblog. Okay. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Sorta Awesome Meg, or come talk to us on Facebook in the Hangout group, facebook.com slash groups slash Sorta Awesome Hangout. This show is also on Instagram at Sorta Awesome Show, and we will see you all next time. Sorta Awesome was created by me, Megan Teets, and is produced each week in collaboration with Kelly Gordon, Rebecca Hoffer, and Laura Tremaine. Visit us on the web at SortaAwesomeShow.com, where you can sign up for the show's newsletter, connect with the Sorta Awesome community, and find show notes for each episode of Sorta Awesome. Music is provided by the band Prager. Find out more at PragerMusic.com. We'll meet you back here next time as we discover, explore, and discuss all the things that make life sorta amazingly awesome.